Hey there, this is Lori Granito, and I just had so much fun speaking with Ryan from the World of Speakers, and we talked about everything from my wow method to how to monetize your own speaking business and how to get on the TEDx stage. And we also talked about being emotionally naked, and you'll hear about that a little bit later. I'm looking forward to having you all on the podcast. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by SpeakerHub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. All right, we are back and I am here today with Lori Granito, who is a three-time TEDx speaker, who is an inspiration coming from the projects and now lives in Hong Kong. She likes to cook, but her husband is also a cook. She likes to sleep in. And I am excited to learn how you continue to do what you're doing and your passion for helping entrepreneurs. Good morning, afternoon, evening, however it is. Where, how is it in Hong Kong right now? Where is it? 16, 17 hours? Uh, well, I'm not sure. Where are you based, uh, Ryan? I'm out of Los Angeles. Okay, so I think we're 16 hours. It's 7.30 in the morning here, just about. Okay, well, good morning then. How's that? (laughs) That's fine. Thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, so let's start by learning more about you. You've got uh, an interesting past, and you're in Hong Kong, so that's kind of cool there too. I was recently in Hong Kong. I was speaking at the China Marketing Summit, and I love Hong Kong. It's very, very cool. Actually, I was in I'm sorry, I get confused because Hong Kong is not China. That's right. So I was in Hong Kong for the RISE conference and then Shenzhen for the China Marketing Summit. Okay, yeah. You don't want to get those too confused when you're <laughs> talking to somebody from Hong Kong. <laughs> no, I actually, I spoke in Hong Kong and I, you know, I was like, and I'm so glad to be here in China and everybody just silent. I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> so yes, there I did it again, but that's the first piece of advice and I will take that wholeheartedly. So How did you end up in Hong Kong? Well, I uh, came with my husband. We had just gotten married after one of my aunts would say after shacking up for like five years. And, uh, you know, I just told him wherever we moved to, it had to be somewhere where I had the opportunity to work if I wanted to. Okay. And uh, I fully expected to come to Hong Kong and be like, you know, the what we call the Tai Tai, the wife that doesn't have to work and I could just like do some charity stuff. Then reality set in uh, when we got here. And I realized that uh, not working was not an option because everything was so expensive. And my background was in sales and marketing. So the first job that I actually had was in a retail store as their export manager here. And then I sort of fell into cooking as a fluke. Okay. And your husband's a chef. You Is that correct? He is. He's a three-star Michelin trained chef. And I actually met him in New Orleans because he was the resident chef for a three-star Michelin restaurant in France. Interesting. Well, it's, it's funny how you know, I, I have a chance to meet all these people from around the world who speak around the world. And the one thing that seems to be consistent is how, uh, you know, you maybe wouldn't expect what ends up happening from where it all starts. And it's always exciting to, to hear that path and that journey of sort of a, almost a plunko, right? Where you, the opportunity presents itself and you end up sort of plunking from one to the other. But at the end of the day, that's your, your story. And it sounds like you've shared your story quite a bit and you help people share their stories. Is that correct? 
That's correct. That's correct. Um, I've been really fortunate to be able to do three TEDx talks. I'm about to do my fourth talk at the end of November 2017. Very cool. And I think one of the things that I always tell people that I help and and that I learned was that the power is when you make your mess your message. Okay, your your message is in your mess. I like that. So were were things truly, you know, were they messy for you? And is that where you got the content for your story? Yeah, you know, I, um, I like a lot of people, I'd wanted to do a, a TEDx talk for a long time. I, you know, I was hooked on all of the videos. But to be honest with you, there was, I had so much shame around my story. And because Hong Kong is very much a place of, you know, where you you don't want to lose face. Everybody has sort of a facade. You don't want people to be like, as we would say back home, you don't want people all up in your business, right? (laughs) And so that was really one of the things that held me back. I actually filled in the application, but left it open on my computer for three weeks. Because I just, I had this thing in my head, like I, you know, I, didn't have any fancy credentials. I dropped out of university. And then they had already announced that like one of the speakers would be the person who was like the number two in the Hong Kong government. And then another speaker was a, a Bloomberg television anchor. And so I'm thinking there's no way they're going to pick me. <laughs> so um, yeah, I had it open on my computer for three weeks. And one of my girlfriends came over and she's like, why haven't you sent that in? And I was like, oh, you know, I still need to tweak some things. And she just walked up to my computer and hit send. <laughs> that's a good friend right there. <laughs> and that was kind of it. <laughs> well, I, that's a that's an interesting just story in itself about just hitting the, the go button or the start button, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I'm not sure that I would have. I mean, I like to think that I would have. But you just really, there's so much self-doubt and so much hesitation. And like I said, there was so much shame around the story that I just thought, I didn't know if I had the courage to actually get up and tell people. And then, you know, once I'd gotten shortlisted, we actually had to do an open mic. There was an open mic audition. And, you know, in my mind, I thought it would be like one of those, you know, when you see on TV, people go for their, you know, dance auditions or whatever. And you have in your mind, there's a table with like five people there and you walk in, you do your thing and then you leave and they decide afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got to this place and I didn't realize they had actually sold tickets to this open mic thing. And there were like 200 (laughs) people there. It was like a little salon event for them or something, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Way to get thrown under the bus, right? It's like, welcome. (laughs) Yeah. And then they had sent out an email saying that we had like four to five minutes. And then we got there. And because they had 30 people that were auditioning, by the time they got halfway through, they were so behind schedule that the people that were in the other half, they came to us and said, oh, now you only have three to four minutes. So, you know, you're already nervous. You've gotten, you know, you're trying to remember everything you're supposed to say. And then you got to cut out 25% of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, that's actually a messy pro. Like, that's a mess in itself, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun, but it was so nerve wracking. And out of that open mic audition, they picked, I guess what you would say, unknowns. They picked uh, six people. And you happen to be one of them. And I happen to be one. That's right. So did you, when you were growing up, did you have a propensity to 
speak in public or is it something that you were super gregarious? Was that always in your blood or did you just somehow decide that you wanted to because you liked the talks? How did that originate? Well, I will say that I was always that kid in class, you know, the one that was always running their mouth, <laughs> getting in trouble okay. <laughs> because yes. I was talking behind the teacher's back. So yeah, that was me. But I never imagined that I would be doing something involving speaking as a career. I mean, I never imagined that I would have been in the restaurant business either, but you know, it just kind of, I kind of fell into it. And, um, after the first TED Talk, one of the organizers actually came to me and said, hey, I have a company that I'm doing an event for. Would you, you know, would you mind coming to speak to them and, and they'll pay you? And I thought, they'll pay me? Just tell me. What? Right. You know, and, <laughs> Here goes. and they're going to give me lunch at the Ritz-Carlton? Just tell me where to show up. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh, I'd like to press submit now, please. <laughs> So I just thought, wow, this is a thing. People get paid for this <laughs> just for, for talking. So that was how I got into speaking. It wasn't, you know, like a grand plan or anything. Yeah. And that's what makes it exciting probably and makes your authenticity shine through because there are people that work and spend years crafting their craft, but maybe, you know, as a result of that, they lose that, I don't know what you would call it, that genuine beginner's luck. I mean, I'm assuming that you get better and better and better, but you're the person that was talking in class. You're the person that's sort of loud and social and you've got a message to share. And like, that's a perfect storm for it. You're not classically trained, which I think is great. Yeah. And I, but, you know, I think the one thing that I have in doing this for, you know, professionally for the last two years, the one thing that I have really noticed is that when people try to get into this business, they're often extremely guarded even if they share little bits of their story, there's always the parts that it's like, we don't want anybody to see our ugly. We don't want, I say, you know, I'm from the South. So I say, you got to get emotionally naked. We don't say naked. We say naked. naked. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you've got to get emotionally naked because that is where the beauty is. That's when you become human. That's when you connect with people because everybody has got something going on with them. And there's going to be somebody in that audience that's going to connect with you. I mean, I'll tell you, I was at a TEDx salon event night before last. Now, my first TEDx talk was uh, two and a half years ago. And a guy walked up to me and said, I remember your talk. And because of you, I didn't give up in my business. And that for me is what it is really all about. Right. Like I, I never met him before. So for those people who haven't seen that first TEDx, what was the main message? What was your mess that you were sharing for a message? So the main message was just keep swimming. And there's a little a bit of a story behind that because I had two restaurants that, you know, as I said, I'd fallen into the food business and I wound up opening this big, beautiful restaurant that I had for seven years. And um, it was really my baby. It was, you know, a New Orleans themed restaurant. We were so busy when we first opened that we were had a waiting list of like three months. And wow. our wow. and the area that we were in was a very new up and coming area. And, you know, Hong Kong is very much known for landlords gouging tenants. <laughs> That's just the reality. So our rent tripled. Wow. And couple that yeah. with, you know, it was right after 9-11. There weren't a lot of people coming into town. The economy, it was right after the financial crisis. 
And so, the, you know, the, I had to wind up closing the restaurants. And it was so traumatic for me because it was really, it was my baby. You know, I, I had just had a baby, but that was like my, my second baby. And I went into this really deep depression. We were extremely broke. We, I mean, when I say we were, it was just a scramble every single month. And I remember my my lowest point came that I had to go down the hill and you know, you know, when you don't have a lot of money, you know exactly how much you got into your bank in your bank account, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, very weird. Yeah, I knew that I had a hundred Hong Kong dollars in my bank account, which is like 13, 13 bucks U.S., thirteen U.S. And so I'd gone down to the bank to get the money out of the bank machine, and I forgot that they had to take out the bank charges, and I had ninety seven dollars in my account. And so I had to go into the bank and line up and then write a check to get that money out because I had to go and buy diapers. And, you know, everybody thought my daughter was potty trained because, you know, she was like I was this super mom, but they didn't realize it was because I didn't have money to buy diapers. So I was like waking her up (laughs) saying, you got to be potty trained. (laughs) But, you know, when I got um, as I walked back up the hill, I remember it was in August and uh, the weather in Hong Kong is very much like New Orleans. It's hot, it's humid, it's horrible. And I remember walking back up the hill and I didn't even have the money to get on, you know, the coins to get on the bus to get, get back up there. And it's a really steep hill getting back up to my place. And so by the time I got to my door, I was like not only drenched in sweat, but in this, you know, thick of humiliation because I kept having a picture of this tell her like with the smirk on her face as she you know slid the money across the counter to me and uh, I got in and um, uh, we had a lady that had been watching my daughter and she left and so you know is you have anybody with kids you know toddlers or who have been subjected to the hell that is frozen they would know that if you want to like <laughs> get your kids to give you a little bit of space then you just put them in front of the tv with their favorite video Right. So my daughter's favorite video at the time was Finding Nemo. And so I remember I had a third of a bottle of cheap Paul Masson wine because it was like the cheapest thing there was, you know, the ones in those carafes. And I just thought, I need a glass of wine and a good cry. Yeah. So I put her in front of her video. I got my little cheap wine, went in the bedroom and I sat on the bed and I was literally surrounded by this pile of bills. And it was like a yellow card for the electricity that was final notice. And then I had the gas, which was definitely being cut off the next day. And we had this portable gas camping burner. And I remember mentally calculating how many times I would have to boil water on that gas camping burner to fill a bathtub to give my daughter a bath when the gas went off. And I was sitting there having my pity party of one, drinking my cheap wine, crying my eyes out. And then I heard my daughter start singing in the living room. She was going, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, swimming. (laughs) So, and that was kind of, it just, I always tell people, I would love to be able to tell a different story than, you know, Ellen DeGeneres voiceover of a, you know, crazy fish that's, (laughs) you know, snapped me out of this. But that was what it was. And I just realized in that moment that I had to figure out a way to just hold on because I was so, I had fallen so deep into these dark space. And that was sort of 
when I decided that, you know, I needed to figure out a way to ask for help. I need to figure out a way to get myself out of this. And that was sort of where my story came from was as an entrepreneur, you know, failure is part of your journey, but you need to be able to, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter if you feel like you're drowning in a sea of overwhelm, or if you're just at a stage where you're just trying to hang on and tread water, you just have to keep swimming and eventually you'll get to where you want to go. Wow. Well, what a, what a, what a real story, right? I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what you're talking about. Is it that humility and the humiliation combined with the humidity (laughs) put uh, the triple H on you and, and then you get a singing fish and it almost takes all of that as a perfect storm to, to have that realization. But it sounds like the magic is in your, your strength or your courage to share that, even though you were too afraid to push the button and you had somebody else push it for you. And then, uh, then it just sort of happened from there. So is that really the core message that you help when you train people for TED Talks is finding that mess and building it around that? Yeah, you know, it's not always a mess, but I do tell people that you, you have to find a story that is, you know, because TEDx is not just about being able to tell a good story. It's really about having people leave with an idea. It's really, it really, really is about the idea worth sharing. And this is why I tell people that you don't have to be a famous person or have any fancy credentials or anything like that. You just really have to have a great idea. And one of the biggest things that people uh, miss, and one of the things that I, you know, understood later is that most of it is mental. If I had not, you know, I just remember sitting with that application on my computer for three weeks and thinking my story wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough. Was I really going to tell people the stuff that had happened to me? And to be honest, I didn't even tell my husband before I walked on the stage what I was talking about because I just was so, you know, I just thought I just got to go out there and do it. I don't want anybody to know before I get, before I actually do it. Wow, that's brave. Yeah. And, um, so it's really about being in a space where you can sit back and say, okay, who am I? And this is who I am. And and almost like, you know, when you see uh, the guys before a football game and they're like pumping themselves up and they're getting in that mental state where they can be able to go out and crush the competition. You really have to psych yourself up and remind yourself what you have gone through, what you have climbed over, everything you have overcome to get to that stage. And then that gives you the courage to say hit and sin is so much of a smaller task than everything else that I've done. Hashtag hit and send for, for all those people that are out there with an open application on your computer, hashtag hit and send <laughs> like that. Yeah. But that's just the beginning, right? That's just the start. So, you know, I know you work with a lot of speakers, so I want to, I want to know your best tips or your best presentation tips, something that maybe is unique to you. I know you help people find the stories. You make sure that these stories are real but what are some of the tactical things that you do with your clients or some of the things that you would encourage people to do on their own to not only identify the story, but share it in a way that has the highest chance of crushing the audience in a good way to go back to that football analogy, right? For the game day. Yeah. So I, um, there are a couple of things. I uh, really encourage people to write their stories out so that they can look at them on paper and leave space in between. Because 
inevitably, when we tell our stories the first time, people, you generally do what I call surface talking. They just like, they tell the story to you, but they don't make you feel the story. So the best tip that I can give people is to really allow yourself to add texture to whatever it is that you are speaking. So for example, when I first did that talk, part of it was that in TEDx, you have a very finite amount of time. But when I first did that talk, I did not have the, I wasn't able to tell people that story about walking up the hill and that the hill was so steep that by the time I reached my door, I was drenched not just in, you know, in sweat, but in humiliation as well. You really want people to be able to feel what you're feeling. And in order to do that, you have to put those feelings down on paper. So I go through a process where people write the story out and then I tell them, tell me what you were feeling. Tell me what you saw. Tell me, you know, if the room was cold, tell me if your back was hurting, if you had to carry something. So that really puts a lot more texture and then people feel like they are actually there with you. So it's not, it's like taking visual language to a whole new level, talking to people and asking them, what were you feeling during the time that they were describing what they were doing? So this doing versus feeling, I like that. So when somebody has it all written out and then you uh, work with them to sort of pull out these emotions, the feelings, the setting the scene, do you have a certain pattern that you work people through or a certain structure from the messaging standpoint, if they have a story and now they've got already probably a long story with now all this added emotion, is part of your process helping them to whittle that down? And that sometimes that seems like that's a difficult part. Yeah, that is the hardest part. I mean, I will tell you when I did my uh, the first draft of my first TED Talk, I had it on my computer. I read it. I was like, damn, this is good. <laughs> right. And then I timed it and it was like 38 minutes. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and I had, I had 10 minutes. So <laughs> I had to cut out almost three quarters of it. Right. So one of the, the biggest parts of the process is really whittling it down and cutting out the fluff. Because every event, it really depends on a curator, how long you would have, you know, being able to do a keynote is very different because you've got 45 minutes to lay back and tell your story. I usually use a, a very clear structure of content story content where people get the content, which is like the actual lessons that they want to convey. And that is, those are two pillars. And in the middle, you'll have your story. And sometimes that changes up depending on, you know, whether the story will have the most impact at the beginning of the speech or the end. But there's always um, it's always anchored on the sides by the, the content, because at the end of the day, a great story is is great. But you do want people to be able to walk away with something that that still resonates with them. So would you call it a content sandwich? Like I know there's a compliment sandwich. I've got a thing called the 313 sandwich. I like to think of things in sandwiches, but is this a content sandwich? So you have the content sandwiches, the story? That's correct. It okay. is. It's a content sandwich. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Right? <laughs> I might have to steal that, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to it. And then it can be like, a, you know, you can have a vegetarian uh, one and then you can have... Depending on your story, you can throw some pickles on there, maybe some jalapenos and steam it up a bit. <laughs> I like that. Maybe yeah, some, exactly. You can be like, what part is the mayonnaise? How are you going to transition right from the bun or the, the content to the story? You got to have something that exactly. 
That is the buffer. I like that. A content sandwich. Okay. <laughs> so with that structure, then you're able to extract the fluff, but keep the feeling. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Because ultimately it's, you know, it, everybody knows that, you know, it's so boring when you're listening to somebody speaking and all they're doing is giving you content, content, content with no, no way that it relates to your life. Of course, you have to know your audience as well. Some stories don't resonate the same way as, as others do. So I do have several different stories that I, I use. One of the other topics that I speak about uh, quite often is this negative self-talk. I call it the biggest bully is you. Hmm. And that is one of the things that um, I'll, I'll tell you one more thing that uh, that folks don't know about me. I was actually a contestant on The Biggest Loser Asia about seven years ago. Wow. Okay. One of the only two Americans, last woman standing. I came in fourth. And I love running. That's always been one of my things. And I had, um, I was running about 10 to 12 kilometers every morning. There's a path here called Bowen Road, and it's four kilometers each way. So it's a five mile run each way. But I had started gaining a little weight. And so I had this thing going on in my head that like, okay, I don't want to go out there because people are going to be talking about me and all of this kind of stuff. Look, she gained weight again. I had all of this, you know, all these, what I call bullshit stories going on in my head. And, um, then one day I decided, okay, I'm just going to get back out there. And it's a trail where you've got, you know, a lot of people who are there every single day. You have all of the old Chinese people who are, you know, they go out and do Tai Chi and they go out for their morning strolls. And um, there's this one uh, old guy, he can't even walk by himself. He has two helpers that help him come out for his morning walk. And I see him, I, I used to see him all the time as I would go to the end, to the first finish of the four kilometers. And, um, and he, you know, he'd always say Joe-san, which is good morning. So I didn't even know if he spoke English. So the first day I went back up there, you know, I'm really kind of like, I'm keeping my head down because I engaged some weight. I'm embarrassed. I don't want people looking at me and all of this kind of stuff. And I got down there and, um, and he get this big smile came across his face and he said, where have you been? We missed you so much. <laughs> and I thought, now this guy, I was like, I've been like, telling myself all kinds of stuff in my head and you know people are not even thinking about that like we're legends in our own mind when nobody else is even worried about us right yeah you're you are your own worst critic so you're almost creating your own reality based on what you think and then you find cues in the universe to reinforce it exactly i think there's actually some some evolutionary things within there where you know, whatever you are thinking, your brain tries to find atmospheric indicators that that's the case. An example being in traffic. If you're in traffic and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late. Then like everything from that point is trying to reinforce in your brain that you're going to be late. That car is going too slow. Oh my gosh, I missed that light. And you sort of like manifest things that are out there, but just interpret them differently. Is that, is that the idea? Yeah, absolutely. And and the funny thing was, was that after that, like on the four kilometers coming back, when I had my head up, everybody I saw was like waving and saying good morning. Right. But I wasn't paying attention on the way going in. I was so into beating myself up and, you know, kicking myself for what I hadn't done that I wasn't even seeing the signals of people welcoming me back. And are you applying that concept to speakers to empower them to 
lessen their self-talk and gain self-confidence, not worrying about what the audience is thinking? Is that part of it? Yeah. So I actually have, I actually created this method called the wow method. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah. It's called the wow method. I like it. So the the W uh, stands for who am I and why am I doing this? And that is uh, part of that is the reinforcing of what you've been through, where you've come from, and reminding you that there is a reason that you've gotten to the point that you are now. And then why am I here reminds people because a lot of people, when they get out of their own head and remember that the reason they want to tell their story is because you may be, you know, about to not only inspire someone else, you, you know, and, and, and help them in their lives. You might even be saving somebody's life. And when people start remembering that, okay, you know what I'm about to say is not really about me. It's about who I'm about to serve. That kind of snaps them out of it. And then the O is for owning your story. You know, really owning that story, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's when you've got to get emotionally naked. Naked. Not naked. Naked. Emotionally naked. That's right. (laughs) And then the last W is for when you put that texture on your story. You want them to walk in your shoes. Hmm. You want them to be able to feel what you were feeling. And honestly, when, when you've been describing thinking you are, a, you are a wow user, I can tell, because in your stories that you've told, not only does it have to do with walking or running, right? But you <laughs> describe the situation and like, it almost feels like I am there with you. I mean, taking the time to describe how you're feeling and what you're seeing and people's emotions, like those little fine details create that atmosphere of feeling like, and as you're saying, in someone's shoes and your running shoes, I guess, too. That's right. (laughs) So as you're, you know, so that W is for for having them walk in your shoes as you are writing that talk. So, and then that's when we start putting it on paper and we start putting texture or we, you know, put a little bit of flavor on it, as I say sometimes. (laughs) Not not flavor, but flavor. Flavor. Flavor while you're (laughs) naked. So, so yeah, that's the wow method in a really quick, succinct manner. All right. So as we bridge into this last chunk of the show, I think that it would be really fun to find out one of a couple things that you could choose, right? How you help people to monetize their message, or if you are thinking and experiencing that getting on the TEDx stage is a path to monetization, maybe some tips on how to land a TEDx talk. So which of those would you like to explore for the next 15 minutes? Oh, you know, um, I, we can do either one. <laughs> okay. Well, how about we do both? How about we do both? And, and that is, okay. how do you get on the TEDx stage? And then how do you leverage being on the stage to monetize your message? How's that? That's perfect. That's perfect. That's a, it's some sort of a sandwich. It's a uh, monetization sandwich. <laughs> monetization sandwich. So the first thing I will say to people is that, you know, a lot of, I have met people that say, oh, I want to be on TED. I don't want to be on TEDx. And so the the difference between TED and TEDx, are t- TED Talks are actually organized by the TED organization. And TEDx Talks are independently curated. So each one is, you know, they're, they're licensed and they are they have their own organizing committees and you could have you know two or three licenses in the same city 
And what I will tell people is that if you think about somebody like Brene Brown or Simon Simonek or uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, they all were doing TEDx talks. So if you are looking for a way to get yourself out there quickly, then a TEDx event is the way to go because, you know, TED probably receives thousands of applications on a daily basis and you go into a big pile and they do keep them all, but your chances are incredibly slim. Whereas, you know, if you're looking for a TEDx event, it's your chances raise a little bit better, but you still have to do some work to get there. And I always tell people, you got to do your research. You got to not expect that it will happen overnight. I just worked with someone who had gotten five rejections from TEDx, different TEDx events. And within three months of working with her, because we, you know, we crafted her message a little bit differently as she did her pitch, she was able to get invited. She's actually doing a talk in November as well. In a few weeks, we actually managed to get her an invitation within three months. Very cool. There are a few things that people can do to increase their chances. One is really to research the event, know what the theme is. Don't be stuck in one particular story or the way you want to tell the story. And the main thing is to remember that it is never, ever, ever about you. And it's never about your brand. It's never about what you have to sell. It is always about what is the message that you want people to walk away with. I see so many people that want it as a credibility booster, and it's a great platform. You know, it's like the holy grail for speakers. Everybody wants to get on a, a TEDx stage. Yeah. And it is a great way to increase your brand. I mean, I, you know, as I said, I didn't know that it was a possibility for me to start getting paid to speak until after I did the TEDx talk. And the way that I was able to monetize it is was that I had to really get comfortable with tooting my own horn, which is something that we are taught to be humble and, you know, not not in an arrogant way or in a, in a way that is obnoxious, but to be able to own and say, yeah, I did do this. I mean, I remember at one point my mother, she put this post on Facebook because I, I think I had done my second talk and I, I didn't tell her. It was just like, OK, it's another one. And she put a post on Facebook and she was, and it had like a, a list of 10 articles that I had been in different newspapers, the Sydney Sun-Herald. And, you know, it was different things that I had been in. And she said, this is what it looks like when your daughter doesn't tell you anything and you got to Google her. <laughs> <laughs> so thought, sorry, mom. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I really sh- had shied away from, you know, saying, OK, I'm really good at this and I'd like to be doing it. And my business really took off when I started uh, started owning all the achievements that I had had and said, okay, this is what I've achieved. But what you don't know about me is that this is where I came from to get here. Mm, that's an interesting. That's a toot your own horn kind of sandwich, right? Where you've got, yeah. maybe it's not a sandwich. Maybe it's more like. It's a dip. Yeah, it's a, it's a dip. I like it. It's, yeah, it's, it's a the dip. humble dip. You got to make sure that your dip looks good. It's got to smell good. It's got the cheese. You got to make people want. But then once they actually get the dip in with the chip, then it's like there's a lot more that's in that dip. Yeah. So I actually do you. That is actually one of the techniques that I use is, so, you know, this is, uh, you know, all of the accolades that I, I have. But what you don't know about me is this is where I came from. This is what I had to go through. And then at the end of it, and that's why I do X, Y, Z. And that's why 
XYZ is so important to me. That's a nice way to frame that. It really is. So you're, you're telling people just so I can understand and so other people can learn, you're saying, these are my accolades, but you don't realize this is where I came from and why I'm doing what I'm doing is because of blank. Exactly. It's a nice little formula right there. Yeah. Do you have an acronym for that one or a name for it? Is that the dip theory? Yeah, I just call it the dip. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, I got gotcha. Sometimes I call it the pothole. <laughs> oh, you know what it should be? Maybe, and, and again, this is all up to you, but what about like a layered dip, right? Because yeah. everybody knows about the seven layered dip. So you've got these different layers and they all sort of together become a, a very yummy bite. But individually, like if you were just to look at the sour cream, that's all your accolades. But it goes deeper than that. There's some beans. And then still at the bottom, you've got, you know, the guacamole, which is really where everybody's trying to get to. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> going with it. <laughs> Yeah. So you got the dip going and you got the TEDx that, you know, you're you're leveraging to build off of that. How do you continue to help people eat? So <laughs> so I will say for me, one of the turning points in my business was I actually got myself a coach because, you know, I knew how to run businesses. I still had restaurants. I still had a catering company. I'd actually just won a, a huge award, an entrepreneur from the American Chamber of Commerce for Entrepreneur of the Year. And, you know, I had people that were asking me to come and do these talks and I just listed with a speaker's bureau. And then I realized, I don't know nothing, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know anything about this business. So, you know, I didn't know if I was charging the right thing, if I was charging the wrong thing, if I was, you know, what my contracts were supposed to look like. So I actually hired a coach and I really had this thing. I remember sitting down with her and, um, you know, and saying I had paid a gob of money to meet with her for this one day mastermind. And so she said, OK, so you're going to be doing coaching now. So how are you going to price your packages? And so I said, well, I'm going to price it at X, Y, Z. And, uh, you know, because I'm a smart girl. I did my research. Right. Yeah. And she said, well, how'd you come up with that price? And so I said, well, you know, I went online and I checked and I did my <laughs> research. And, you know, that's the average of what people charge. And she said to me, well, are you average? Ooh. <laughs> I know. I was like, uh, no. <laughs> And, you know, and then she said, and so this is how you're going to price. And this is why you're going to price that way, because there's always going to be people at that average mark. But, you know, based on what you've done, you really need to own that you are worth this much and go out and and charge it. And, she, you know, she gave me the pricing for the package. She said, now you go out and find five people that's going to pay that. And then when they pay, then you increase your prices by this much. So in my mind, of course, I am thinking, ain't nobody going to pay me that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, well, my this dip is, is insane. My dip is not that expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just, I've knocked up this like cheesy PDF. So this is the other thing I want to tell people. You need to start ugly. Don't like think you got to have like a perfect, I didn't have a website. My website is still like all jacked up. <laughs> you don't have to have like a perfect website. Don't spend like 20 hours on a, you know, Pantone color for your business card and all this kind of stuff. I went out to this like one hour business card place, <laughs> got some business cards made up. I did like this cheesy little PDF and, uh, you know, so I had gotten a referral for, of someone who wanted me to coach them to do this. This is actually the lady who had gotten the five no's before I met her. 
And so I sent it off to her and I'm like, you know, again, it was that hit send thing. And like, you know, oh, it's it's kind of, it's cheesy. And, you know, what if she says no? And, you know, is it, should I really keep it at that price? I don't think that coach knew what she was talking about. But anyway, eventually I hit send. Are you sure a friend didn't hit send for you? <laughs> no, I did it that time. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> just, just checking. We were moving up. <laughs> I did it that time, but it did take me like all day. <laughs> uh, it, like I don't know if you've used Mailchimp. When you use it, it has like a little sweaty monkey finger that's like like and it's like dripping sweat, and you have to push. It's like oh no. Yeah, so that was kind of like a, the way I was, and um, and she emailed me back a couple hours later and said, "Oh, this is great. I just have one question. Can I pay you in two installments?" And I was like, "Well, that is exactly what you can do." <laughs> like, <laughs> wow! I was confident all along. <laughs> wow, what a what a fun what a fun story to see from everything, right? I mean, how. You sort of started very far from Hong Kong, ended up in Hong Kong, an entrepreneur who got rattled by the economy, went to a certain spot up a hill that was humid, and you were humiliated because you had 97 Hong Kong dollars, which is like $13, not enough to even buy diapers or heat the food that you need to eat. And you heard a little fish that sang to keep swimming. That's right. And that little fish kept you going. And you have been not only swimming, but you're Michael Phelps style. You've got coaches now. You've been three times, about to be four times TEDx. I'm sure there's going to be more. And you've invented sandwiches and dips and everything like that. And you're having a good time doing it. I sure am. <laughs> well, what a pleasure to meet you. And I'm, I'm super excited to now know you and excited to keep an eye on what's going on and Definitely, I'll be following this next TEDx talk that you have and happy to share it. And I'm going to binge watch your other three tonight, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So for people that want to do the same, is the best place to go your website that granted is not perfect, but still works? Yeah, so I have a couple of of websites. Actually, the one that I'm using now is uh, for my new program called Wild the TEDx Stage, where I really um, dive deep with people into the the wild method and getting them to actually hit send, getting them to put that uh, pitch together, getting them to put that application together. So um, that's uh, wildthetedxstage.com. Or they can just uh, go to lorigranito.com. Like I said, it's not perfect, but, you know, it's there. <laughs> hey, hey, done is better than perfect. And that's one of the main lessons here, right? And you don't have to have the accolades. You don't have to have the degrees. You don't have to have just anything other than the fact that you've got a real story with real feeling that connects with real people. And you've really got to push the button. You've got to hit the send button. <laughs> you've got to hit the send button. And I will also say to people that are, you know, aspiring speakers or speakers that even if you're doing corporate, you know, if you're looking to go into corporate, you know, I've done a lot of events that I, where I go in and I talk about sales and, you know, because I've done a lot of different things in my life. A really flash website is, it's nice to have, but ultimately what sells people is your your own confidence and your own, you know, I, I have said to people that, listen, I, you know, you're welcome to go to my website. It is not up to scratch because quite frankly, I am working too hard. I don't, haven't had time to do it. Right. And that, that makes total sense. Yeah. But if you'd like to have a conversation about me coming in, to show you how I can serve your people or how I can help you help your team reach their goals, then I'd be happy to do that. So, you know, you're welcome to Google me or you're welcome to, you know, you might come up with some of my old 
Biggest Loser videos. But, but this is what I do now. Well, hey, if, if mom is able to find you on Google, then I'm sure yeah. everyone else can too. So yeah, just go for it. <laughs> well, hey, Lori, this has been great. Just go for it. Hit the send button or have friends close to you and your computer open so they can do it. And uh, just continue to work on wowing people. And it all really starts with you and your story. So, hey, this has been so much fun, Lori. I appreciate you taking the time to share this story with the world of speakers. Thank you so much, Ryan. This has been so much fun. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Absolutely. All right. Well, you can Google me too. Okay, I will do. All right. Well, you have a great day in Hong Kong and we will wind down the night here. Ladies and gentlemen, another very fun and full of laughter as well as amazing nuggets of information from another speaker who speaks around the world here on the World of Speakers podcast. Check out other episodes and feel free to share if you care because that's caring (laughs) is sharing. All right, Lori, we're going to take off. Goodbye from here, LA, and you enjoy Hong Kong. Thank you so much, Ryan.